Khalashin for Khalas? Want to bry or fine dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9. Join Adrian Bagatti for Essen Fresen, Tuesday mornings from 11 a.m., where it's all about the food. Hi, and welcome to the Essen Fresen Show. I'm Adrian Bagatti, your host today, and I'm back after a month-long journey away, traveling around Africa and providing kosher food for people who want to see the country. So I've learned a lot of things over the time, but this time we're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah, because once again, it's here. I don't know about you, but the years just seem to be getting quicker and quicker and quicker, and traveling through them so fast that I can't believe next week is Rosh Hashanah. I'm so glad they said that the weather was going to be warm next weekend. It is going to make it a little easier for me as I don't like the cold. But saying that, it is going to be extremely hot for some of you. So that's not a bonus uh, depending on where you are and if you've got long walks ahead of you. So there's some things to think about when you're doing your Rosh Hashanah menu planning. Hopefully that's already in the works and that you're not leaving it to the last minute to rush it through. Now, the, the truth is there's a lot of different ways, and most of us are stuck with the similar things that we grew up with. We're doing the same things over and over again. Obviously, some things can never change, like our apple and honey, but then there's other things that can change. You know, most of us, I grew up chicken soup for first night, and then we had the gefilte fish, and we had the Danish herring, and we had chopped herring, and usually one other herring of some sort um, with your kichel. Then it was your main course, and there was always a red meat and a chicken dish or poultry dish and your sides. And I don't know about all of you, but I'm kind of getting tired of all of that. So last year was the first year that I changed it up, and we did not have a traditional um, menu for Rosh Hashanah We had something unusual So before I get into that We're going to talk about the traditional stuff The stuff we have to have And some of the meanings behind it And the first one that we all know Is your round challah The round challah is because Life is a cycle It is a symbol of the world going round And you can have them You can buy them with raisins in For those who in, like raisins in their food Not me um, and the raisins are supposed to be sweet, and therefore your round challah is a sweet year. I do a challah, a braided one that is round, and in the center, a little pot of honey, so that you can break your bread and dip your honey if that's what you want. Um, we are not Swadi, so we cut our breads, but it is the Swadi tradition to break bread and not to cut it. The original honey goes back to temple times, and even though there were apiaries around 11 BC, the most common honey was date honey. And dates are a very important part of Rosh Hashanah. They are one of the fruits that we should be eating. Um, the reason for the dates is the Hebrew word for date is tamarim, and that represents the punishment of our enemies trying to do evil against us so that the enemies would be stopped. That was just one of the things. Then we've got the apples and honey, so you can have your normal honey, obviously. Your apple, that represents the Jews themselves, but it has two meanings. The first meaning is the blessings from um, the Garden of Eden, 
where he comes for his blessing from his dad and his father says, I can smell the fields on you. And that is obviously Gun Aiden. It's the apples that he'd been, you know, working in the apple orchard. That is one that I read. I have no idea the source. I just thought it was an interesting thing to read. But the other reason that has come up on why apples are so representative of the Jewish nation is the apple tree is one of the only trees, fruit trees that produces the apple, the actual fruit, before the leaves start to appear to protect the fruit. So most fruit trees, you'll get like the flowers first and then the leaves and the fruit grows inside those before it appears ripe. And just to help it grow and to protect. But the apple doesn't have it. The apple is there before the tree even has leaves. And they are talking that way that it is the Jewish people. We are unprotected and we grow as apples, grow in almost any season. So whether the conditions are harsh harsh or mild, an apple is able to grow pretty much anywhere. And they're hardy. You can grow an apple easily. It's one of the easier trees to actually grow. And they're saying that that is the same as the Jewish nation, is we grow everywhere. We are not limited to where we need to be and where people want us to be. We are out there standing strong and bringing sweetness and sometimes a little sourness to the world. So I don't know what tradition you guys have, um, but I tend to put uh, red apples and green apples together on the plate as a mixture, even though you shouldn't really have anything that is too bitter or too sour over Rosh Hashanah because you want a sweet year. The next thing is the pomegranate. We all know the pomegranate. It is a myth, by the way, that there are 613 seeds in every single pomegranate. But what the pomegranate does represent and the seeds represent is abundance. It is giving gratitude for the abundance from Hashem. That is something that I've learned a lot about over the last year is how abundant our world is and how much there is to give and how abundant miracles are from Hashem. So that is a very um, great fruit to have on your table. Now, pomegranates are expensive. So you don't want to just have the pomegranate seeds if you're trying to budget. One of the ways to use it is either in your cooking or in your salads. And pomegranates are often used as the first fruit of the year or a new fruit so that you can say your on it. Then one that took me a long time to get used to because I didn't know about it growing up, and that was the fish head. It was a favorite of my mother-in-law's. Uh, my late mother-in-law used to love the fish head. She got very upset when we discovered it was symbolic, and I was able to substitute it with a marshmallow fish head, which you can buy everywhere now at the moment. And depending on the size of your table will depend on whether you want to buy enough for everybody to share or you just want it as a symbol. Uh, you know, some people are not going to be happy with the fish head on the table. I know my table would be fairly empty, of some of my family members if I stuck an actual fish head in there um, and others probably wouldn't blink an eye but it's never been one of my favorite it does make a very good stock though so if you're using fish heads and fish bones for your gefilte fish jelly it works beautifully then another traditional um, dish that is used more sparty than, than the Ashkenazis and that is couscous 
And that is because the many grains of couscous that you are cooking to make a side dish once again represents the abundance of Hashem's blessings. Another traditional food for Rosh Hashanah are leeks or spinach, the Hebrew word karet, which means cut, and that is to cut our enemies' evil thoughts off and stop them from doing evil against us. So we cut them in their path. Those are your representatives. Now, in case you didn't know, Rosh Hashanah is actually one of the only times that we match, the diaspora matches Israel. It is two days worldwide. And so when you're traveling, it doesn't become a problem. I know the other Yom Tevim, when you're traveling, if you're South African or from the diaspora, trying to find a two-day Yantav in Israel is a little tricky. Here, there should be no problem at all. So that is an important thing. Um, it is important to note that even though we don't have to limit our numbers and things, People are starting to limit their numbers of how big their tables are, or at least they should still be. COVID is still around. Flu season is around. It is still better to make sure you have enough space. So never mind health-wise, money-wise as well. Please be aware of your budget for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah should be abundant, but not budget-breaking. And we're going to talk about that soon. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to bry or fine dine. This is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bagatti. It's all about the food. Hi, it's Adrian again. So we were talking about menus and changing things up a little bit and our traditional Rosh Hashanah menus. And as I said, that I have changed over the last few years and moved away from traditional menu. Um, I just... Tired of the same thing. My family don't eat tzimus. They just don't like it. So I thought I'd look at some traditional things and some alternatives that you can use in a different way. So the first thing is the soup. We all start, obviously, we've got our apple and honey. That's standard. We've got our round colors. Once again, standard. Whether you like it with raisins or not, that's up to you. But then I thought, well, let's look at other ways of having soup. One of the traditional uh, foods or one of the, the foods that you should have on uh, Rosh Hashanah are leeks. So a leek soup. Leek soup is absolutely divine. I love making it. It's pretty easy to make. It's just a reverse of a potato soup, basically, because you're still going to put your potatoes in. And it is just wonderful. It's a potato, a couple of leeks. I can't give you an exact recipe because I've never had one. Um, I'm sure there are a million on the websites all over the Internet. But for me, it's depending on how many people I'm going to use or have at dinner. So I would start off, say, with two bunches of leeks and a potato for thickening. Peel and chop your potato Wash and check your leek using mostly the white part. You don't want it to be a green soup. Finally slice it. You fry up the leeks. You add in your potato. You add in your stock, whatever kind you're going to use, salt and pepper to taste, and you cook until the leek is soft and the potatoes are fully cooked, and then blend it up. And depending on whether your family like a smooth soup or slightly chunkier soup will depend on how much blending you do with your soup. 
So that is a very different soup for you to make for first night. But you can do the traditional chicken soup. Everybody has their family recipe for chicken soup. And it's a good excuse to make your knedlach. Um, the truth is I don't really do knedlach on Rosh Hashanah. I'm not sure why. I, I used to. I just, you know, for me, knedlach is intrinsically Pesach. But it is a really good accompaniment. And if you want something slightly different with your knedlach, is to fill it with some minced meat. Uh, it's a little difficult to do. You par-cook your minced meat. You're going to have to make like a teaspoon of minced meat. You wrap your matzo ball mix around it, and then you boil it for your 20 minutes. But the longer you cook it, the better it's going to be. So I would say at least two to three hours on a slow roast. Then a traditional recipe for your meal is your gefilte fish. We have that. We've never changed it. We're not likely to change it. It is the gefilte fish balls, which is your minced fish with carrots and onion, if you like it. And then you can either bake it in the oven. I know a lot of people do that. Um, so it's carrots, onions, eggs, salt, pepper, fish spice, if you've got. You make it into the balls you want. You make sure your water is bubbling before you put your fish ball in. Otherwise, it breaks apart. I know my mother likes to put yellow food coloring in just to give those fish balls a beautiful yellow golden color. If you're doing it traditionally, you can have your fish bones in, which would work out really well. And, you know, use that sauce as a gravy. Just remember when you are boiling your fish bones or your fish balls that the f water itself is like the ocean. It must be salty. You don't need to put a lot of salt in your actual mixture, but you do need the salt in the water to boil that. And then the traditional, your Danish herring. Once again, your apples make your feature here, and it's beautiful. It's your herring pieces. It's tomato paste, tomato sauce. That's how I do mine instead of the um, tomato sauce, which would be like a similar to a pasta sauce, but generally a tomato paste mixed with tomato sauce is going to work well because you're mixing in oil and vinegar as well as some sugar, some onion, and your apples. Mix it. And remember one thing with um, Danish herring or anything pickled is to make it before you need to serve it, not directly before. You want it for at least 24 hours before. So if you're serving it for Friday night, make it on Thursday already. And that's one of the beauties of doing a, like a pickle is you can make them in advance. It cuts down on your prep time. It makes the Friday much easier. And, and that's an important thing. Now, a lot of people are going to do their traditional brisket, their timus, the honey, the, uh, the onion, the carrots, the dates, the potato, usually sweet potato. I am not a huge fan of timus. I never have been, whether it's just the vegetables or whether it's the meat as well. So if you're serving vegetarians, make your vegetable timus, leave out your meat. You can have meat on the side. That is an important thing. So we do our fish starters. We, Like I said, the gefilte fish, whether it's boiled or baked, the Danish herring, your chopped herring, depending on what you make, whether you make it yourself or you buy it. I know there are some places where we used to use uh, matzah in, our, in the Danish, in the chopped herring, should I say, uh, just because it gives it that bulk and that crunch. 
even though you're not crunching on anything, it just bulks it up. Bread, unfortunately, doesn't work. So what a lot of people do is they use kichel, which does make it slightly more expensive, but it adds the sweetness. And green apple will then balance that out. Don't forget to add your vinegar. One of the things that I want to talk about with gefilte fish. Now, if you're of German descent, gefilte fish basically means a filled fish. And my mother has always told us that she only learned to do the minced fish when she married my father and learned it from my late grandmother. Her life growing up was stuffed fish. The Germans fill their fish with traditional foods like leeks and carrots, and it is a stuffed fish, of course, on its own, and it's served usually hot. So that's a different way to do it. Um, obviously, that's going to work better if you're prepared to do the whole fillet, but otherwise you can do a piece, a really nice piece of white fish that isn't going to break up easily. You have a Laid out, you put whatever vegetables you want in, and then you roll the fish up, make sure it's pinned closed, whether you use a toothpick or some kind of string to hold it in the ball while you bake it in the oven and then serve that for your starter. The next thing is obviously, like I said, your soup. So you've had your chicken soup or your leek soup or even a beetroot soup. Beetroot is a traditional um vegetable to serve on Rosh Hashanah. So you can have any of those. And I must admit, in this heat, I think beetroot, a cold borscht, would go down really, really well. So that's up to you. The next thing is your meat. Like I said, traditionally, in the old days, I mean, I haven't done it for about 10 years, but we all had... You had your your red meat choice and then you had your poultry choice at every meal. We cannot eat like that anymore. Our budgets cannot take that anymore. So you need to know who are your guests, who are going to eat what. Generally, you would have your beef as your red meat. So what we do is we do red meat one night and poultry the next night. But you can do both if that's really your thing. If you're going to do that... Try and do smaller portions. That might work as well. And serve more vegetables on your plates. Vegetables are definitely cheaper than meat. And the same thing goes with the fish course. I mean, I mentioned like four different kinds of fish. But there is nothing wrong with just serving one fish. Having salads or dips on the table that you can keep on the table after the fish course is a much better way to keep people content. You know, Jewish life is all about our food. Simmers, like I said, not my favorite thing. So I would look at something with a brisket in it, you know, that is a whole brisket. I much prefer that to a stew. So something like a braised brisket with a tomato gravy and black-eyed peas, which are another traditional ingredient on our table. But if you want something a little more different, I did find when I was searching during the week to decide what I'm making for Yontav, Tori AV has a West African brisket that sounds amazing. And if you're not too worried about the spices that you've got to have, um, that's a great one to do. I will share that recipe at the end today. Another thing to do is your poultry. Now, I've been lucky. A couple of months ago, I bought myself some duck, and I've just never had the opportunity to cook it. It's sitting in a freezer, 
And obviously, it's got a shelf, a freezer life, should I say. It's a really good freezer, so I've got quite a while, but I think now is the right time to do it. So I'm still deciding whether I do a slow-cooked braised duck, whether I do a duck la orange, so traditionally French duck, or whether I do my favorite from childhood memories is a Peking-type duck, which is like a sticky duck. Now, all of those recipes you can actually do with chicken. Not a problem. Chicken translates beautifully for your duck dishes. But some other recipes that are nice for chicken is a very, very easy one and very in keeping with Rosh Hashanah. There are two recipes. And these are made in your slow cooker. I do it in my slow cooker. You can do it in your oven. Once your oven is on, it doesn't use that much electricity. It's heating it up that uses the electricity. So you've got to be aware of where your load shedding is. And that is to take some chicken, cut up apple, usually a cup of apple juice if you're doing it in your slow cooker. If you're doing it in the oven, I would use two cups. Some cinnamon, whether you use the cinnamon sticks or you grate cinnamon in, that's fine. But it gives that sweetness of the apple for the new year. So remember to brown your chicken, otherwise it does look kind of sickly. When you serve it, you want it to have that nice golden color. All you need to do is brown the skin, or if you're not having a skin, to just brown the pieces. And you can use any pieces for this. You can use the whole chicken, or you can use just the white meat. But just remember, if you are using white meat from the chicken and from a duck, that they dry out very quickly. So you need to make sure that they slightly undercooked before you put them on the warmer or the black for serving on Yantav. They're easy to heat up if you can, um, but I do prefer to have everything ready beforehand, I must admit. Then there's less for me to do. Another way to use your pomegranates is to do a pomegranate and honey glaze for your chicken. That is a beautiful, beautiful recipe. Um, I love doing that. It, it just makes things so much better. You take your chicken, you do your pomegranates in a syrup of some kind, whether you do it in a balsamic uh, syrup or whether you do it in a honey glaze syrup or you buy the pomegranate syrup. I haven't seen it in a while, I must admit. But you can get it down by boiling down your pomegranates with not a problem at all. Then I would say you would put your chicken in your oven dish, pour over your pomegranates, pour over your sweet. Remember, it should be a sweet sauce. So something like a balsamic reduction with the pomegranates or something like a soya and honey coating and the pomegranates together. That would be an absolutely beautiful, beautiful recipe to serve and a good way to serve your pomegranates without using too many of them. Because I don't know if, what it is this year, but I think last year was like 65 rand a pomegranate some places and other places was 25 rand a pomegranate, but they weren't the greatest pomegranates. The, they weren't really that edible. And then... Some other ways to do your dessert. Now, I learned once again, um, I'm trying to remember, and I will find the recipe. 
I think I've already got it on the High FM website, if I'm not mistaken, was the apple roses. Now, apple roses turned out to be quite a simple thing to do. You're using a muffin tray. You slice your apples very finely. You can use phyllo pastry if you want. The first time I made it, I didn't. The second time, I did. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Whether you are chalishing for chalas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bagatti. It's all about the food. Right, so we were talking about desserts and things, and I've got a, the recipe for my apple roses, and I thought I'd give that to you now. This is from a lady called Vulia's Taste of Home. So it's from her website. It is not my recipe, but I have made it numerous times, um, and you can find different variations everywhere. My original one came from a site called allrecipes.com, which is normally my go-to recipe searching place. You're going to need two sheets of ready-made puff pastry, one cup of apricot jam, four red apples, a half a lemon or some lemon juice, a bowl of water, some flour for dusting, and one icing sugar for the same. So in a largest bowl, you're going to put some water with some uh, uh, lemon juice in. You're going to squeeze your lemon juice. Then you are going to cut your apple in half and then thinly slice it, as thin as you can, trying to keep the slices even so that you want them to be able to bend slightly without breaking, so you and you want them to cook evening evenly. So you want to try to keep them as even as you can, leaving your peel on because you want that beautiful red tin, tint on the edges of it. Then you're going to microwave your apples in the water for five minutes. Now, the reason you've put the apples in the lemon water is to prevent them from growing going brown, but don't do it put too much lemon juice. Obviously, you don't want the apples to taste like lemons. Now, if you don't have a microwave or you don't use your microwave, you can cook this on the stove until just before it boils. So your apples are almost actually cooked before you're going to do this. Drain the water, drain your apples, and put them aside to cool down. Next, you're going to dust your board or your table or your counter, wherever you're going to roll out your pastry, you're going to dust that with flour. You're going to then put your pastry down on the table, dust that with flour as well, and then you want to roll it out till it's about double in size. You want it to be about 30 centimeters by 40 centimeters because you're going to cut each slice, each piece of pastry into six squares. They are need to be more or less even once again, so that your cooking is even size and that everybody gets the exact same size rows. You're going to then spread your apricot jam on the inside of the pastry. You layer your apples on the top edge of the pastry. They can overlap a little. And then you're going to fold the pastry over so that the so-called petals, your apple slices, are squashed between the two. You're going to put and pinch the edges closed and then you roll up your pastry. Now, don't leave too much pastry between the, bo- like apple space between the pastry and the apple. You want the apples quite far down so that the pastry holds it all together. You're going to roll those beautifully up. You're going to place them in a muffin tray 
and then you are going to bake it in your preheated oven at, sorry, I've lost the timing, at 180 for about 45 minutes on the lowest rack. Once they're done, let them cool for five minutes in the pan and then very gently remove them with a spatula and put them on a draining uh, uh, cooling rack for until they're properly cooled. You can then dust them with your icing sugar and leave them, a, you know, to serve. Now, the thing with this is that it's great if you're serving it immediately. If you're not, the icing sugar does dissolve and become quite sticky. If you don't like it that way, you can actually just use cinnamon on your apples and you've still got your beautiful flavor. Now, this is a great dessert and it makes a nice change for something baked instead of heavy puddings. But there's nothing stopping you serving it with a beautiful rich sorbet, a berry compact, or even just some plain vanilla ice cream. I must admit, I'd probably serve it with chocolate ice cream, but that's just me. When I come back, I will uh, give you a quick recipe for a cumin and a carrot salad. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bagatti. It's all about the food. Right, and I said I was going to share a carrot and cumin salad. Carrots are, once again, a traditional ingredient in your Rosh Hashanah meal for abundance and for sweetness and money. So, I don't like carrot salad. I don't mind doing... I do the traditional carrot salad where I grate my carrots and I do some pineapple juice and I add pomegranates in just to give it some color and once again a cheaper way to use your pomegranates and carrots are nice and reasonably priced but then I came across this beautiful carrot salad that I just love the taste of Um, my children will tell you I haven't done it a lot so what it needs is two teaspoons of cumin seed toasted the zest and the juice of one lemon. For those who aren't sure what zesting is, remember, wash your lemon very, very well, the skin. And the zest is the skin that you have grated very finely. You don't need too much of it, but they've asked for a full lemon. You want a thumb-sized piece of ginger grated. Now, trick to peeling ginger Use a spoon rather than try and peel. You can scrape it clear with a spoon. The peel comes off beautifully, and then you grate it. Grating it is a little difficult because ginger is a bit stringy, but it does work well. Five tablespoons of olive oil, three shallots. If you can't get shallots, you can use a small onion. Five carrots grated finely. A small bunch of coriander, or uh, for those who don't know coriander, um, you guys call it cilantro. You use that chopped and a half a small bunch of mint chopped. You're going to combine all the ingredients. You're going to season them. And there is your salad. There, who? Beautiful, easy, and so delicious. Now, I thought I'd just do some kashrut updates from, well, we've actually just got from Kosher SA that gave us some nice kashrut updates recently. Um, you can just go to their website if you want to have a look at them. And here are the updates. So 
There are some new catering places, obviously. Now, new product, Sip and Savor Vegan Friso Latte Mix is now kosher dairy with or without the Beth Den's sign. So enjoy that hot or cold. Then we've got the XL Long Grain Parboiled Rice, which is now kosher with the Beth Den logo. Now, previously, you could only have ordinary rice. You could never buy the the parboiled and you would always use a hersha. So Excel have always made um, really good pastas. Now you can get their rice. Cerebros fiery chicken flavored instant noodles are now kosher dairy with the Beth Din's, uh sign. We have the following true food products that are now Parav with or without your logo. Raw cocoa nibs, xylitol granules or raw cocoa powder. Montague sugar-free dark chocolate coated raisins, peanuts, and almonds are kosher dairy with or without the Beth Den logo. And then there are some kosher alerts. The first update is the all flavors of Good Heart stick chips, including those sold on Lyft Airlines, erroneously bear the Beth Den logo and are not certified kosher. The company apologizes for the error and corrective action is being taken. Sadly, spices and all things nice, all products, are no longer kosher certified. Current stock is okay up until production date of the 31st of August, 2023. Not sure what I'm going to do. I like their poppadoms. All youthful living products that bear our logo are not kosher certified. The use of our logo is unauthorized and corrective action is being taken. So those were the updates from the department here in South Africa. Very important to keep up to date with that. There was one that went around recently. Uh, unfortunately, I will need uh, pictures of that, which we don't have. And that is the kashrut symbols that come out of China. They are not kosher at all um, and have just been made up. So it's important that we be aware always of kosher products and what comes up. I did recently buy something that was in a kosher shop on a shelf with a symbol. And when I got it home, I was told it is not an acceptable hesha. And so I do recommend that people check when they buy a new product. Um, There is a long list of items that bear these products, unfortunately, bear these symbols. I hope you all have an amazing, amazing Rosh Hashanah. Wishing everybody all the best for the year ahead. May you be inscribed in the Book of Life for good health and Parnosa. I'm Adrian Bugatti. This is the Essen Freshen Show.